Hello and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 258 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing what on earth we can and should do when we are practicing sustainable minimalism and conscious consumerism in our purchasing However, we do not find that we're saving much, if not any, money. Kelsey reached out to me on Instagram, and Kelsey said that she feels as though she's stuck between trying to spend as little money as possible while also buying the sustainable, timeless items and experiences that are made with quality in mind. Even though she is buying fewer items, and even though she is using her money more intentionally, Kelsey says that she does not feel as though she's saving much money at all. She reached out because she wants some tips for being frugal while not sacrificing quality or eco-friendliness in our purchases. And I thought to myself, Kelsey, this is such a wonderful question. Why not have an expert come on and let's chat? So today I am speaking with Gary Graywall. Gary is a certified financial planner. He is also the author of the book, Financial Fives. And in his own personal life, he considers himself environmentally conscious. So who better to talk to about all of this, about the intersection between frugality and sustainability than with a certified financial planner who also cares about the planet. I'm going to chat with Gary after a quick word from today's first sponsor, Gary, I am so thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Stephanie. How's it going in your world? It's going great. I am thrilled to talk to you about the number one question, or I wouldn't say number one, number two question I get from listeners, which is, how on earth can we save money while also making ethical and sustainably thoughtful purchases? Does not make sense? Because ethical and sustainable products are always more expensive. So we're going to get into that, but... We're going to start this episode how I start all my episodes, which is tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I am a financial planner by day, and I also am the author of FinancialFives.com, a blog about conscious consumerism, and also my book, Financial Fives, the top 325 ways to save, earn, and thrive to retire before 65 mouthful there, but it's really just about finding the little things in life that can help you towards the values and how you spend your money. I read your book from cover to cover, big plug for it. I learned a lot. I loved that. Well, I love two things. The first thing I loved was that it was easily digestible. I have read financial books in the past. And as somebody without a financial background, I have trouble following along. Yours, not that way. So thank you for writing a book for people like me who are somewhat of a financial newbie, I would say. (laughs) And then the second thing I loved about your book was I could tell that you have passions for conscious consumerism or conscious spending. You had said before we hit record, you have passions for low waste and zero waste living. And that really came through in your book. And that's why I think you are the absolute perfect person to ask Kelsey's question frugality and low-waste living, frugality and conscious consumerism are theoretically intertwined. But in practice, in 2022, where there is a 
premium, a monetary premium put on these quote-unquote ethical purchases, Kelsey doesn't feel as though she's actually saving much money. So talk to me about that. Would you say Kelsey is experiencing something that's quite common or is Kelsey just doing something totally wrong? (laughs) No, Kelsey, you are not doing anything wrong. It's totally common. I would agree with you. I would say there's two parts to that question. One is that items that you buy do tend to be more expensive in the initial time that you buy it. But you also have to think about how long it's going to last you. So part of the reason a lot of things cost more money that are more sustainable is because their life cycle is that much longer. So it's just kind of like when you can buy like a couch and that couch might be $2,000 versus $500, but it's built with very good craftsmanship. It's built with leather and it's fair trade, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to break down and fall apart and get all squishy in a couple of years. It's going to last you a long time out. So you really want to go into with that mindset. And that being said, minimalism is a big part of what you talk about and I talk about too. If you already have something that can fit the space of that, don't go out and buy something new. I'll give you an example. Like I've always wanted to get a, uh, what are they called? The really nice hydro flask bottles. I think those are really cool. And they keep the water cold. I have this cheap old water bottle. It's steel, but it's not that. And so this fits the need. I don't need to go out and buy something new. So look around your house. A lot of places have lost and founds, or you can go to garage sales. You can look on Craigslist. Ask family and friends are getting rid of stuff. Moving sales are great. People are just trying to get rid of the stuff they have. You don't have to go and buy a new thing. And if you do end up buying it, just remember it's for the long term. What I'm thinking of as I hear you talking is that the number one thing I try and preach on this show is that buying new should always be the last resort. Sustainable minimalism as a lifestyle can also be a lesson in frugality if buying new is always truly your last resort. So if you borrow, if you thrift, if you use what you already got, if you upcycle, if you do all of those things, those would be frugal habits. But buying new, when you're spending money, it's almost (laughs) a catch-22 because you're spending money. So how can then you also then say, why am I not saving money? So that's just a real tip of the iceberg for you, Kelsey. Make sure first and foremost that buying is your last resort. But I also hear you saying something else there, Gary, too, which is to play the long game, perhaps, maybe zoom out. I got that sense a lot from your book, and especially with regard to when you were talking about our health. Can you talk more about playing the long game as opposed to the short one when it comes to health? So what I would say is that when it comes to health, when you're talking about the long game, you're right. I do say that you want to invest in your health because if you think about it, it's not just how you feel today. It's what's going to cost you down the line. We all put money in a way for our HSA if we have one, or we think we're going to get older, we have to cover health care. But if you take everybody when you're younger and throughout your life, it will pay dividends in the end. So when it comes to financial fives, I really talk about You want to make sure, you know, treat your body well. Control what you can control. Eat good food, eat plant-based, organic. That's an investment in your health. Buy good running shoes so you don't blow out your knees in your 40s. It's really about making sure that you're able to sustain a lifestyle of health and wellness so that you can continue to work. So you don't go on disabilities. You don't have expensive hospital bills down the line. So playing the long game is really just know that you have one body treat it well so that it can pay you dividends for every other aspect of your life 
including income generation. I think that for those of us tuning in today who consider ourselves sustainable minimalists, we have to play the long game. We have to zoom out because if we zoom in, like I think Kelsey's doing in this question, and you see a product on the shelf for $7.99 and the same, seemingly same product, but perhaps it doesn't have all the logos or the certifications, the same product for $5 less, let's say, it can really feel as though, wait a minute, sustainable minimalism is expensive. It's an expensive lifestyle. I hear that in Kelsey's question. But what I hear you saying is that when you zoom out and you look at the whole at your whole lifespan, but also the lifespan of your products, that's when the financial savings start to accrue. So if we're talking about a thing, you have a great example in your book about how if you buy the non-toxic, quote unquote, green wood cleaner, I believe it was, and then you use it on your wood furniture, that's an investment. Yes, it's more money than the toxic one (laughs) with the harmful chemicals next to it, but not only is it perhaps preserving the quality of your wood furniture for years and years and years so you don't have to go out and make another expensive purchase, but it's also perhaps an investment in your health. And so in your book, you talk about healthcare costs. Can you talk to me more about that? Like why is buying less, buying smart now? Why is that a sound financial investment? And you did use the word investment. One of my favorite books that I read was by Gretchen Rubin, which she talks about outer order, inner calm. And a lot of being a minimalist is having order around you, not having things out and about that are going to create chaos or clutter. If they don't have a meaning, why is it there? So in my view, when you're less stressed, when you have less things, you have less things to worry about, you don't need to buy more replacements for those things. And that in turn saves you money. You don't have to be worried about insuring more things. That saves you more money. If something gets stolen or broken or lost, these things add up. And you're really focusing on your mental health and your well-being. Now, when it comes to healthcare, if you take care of your body, it's going to be cheaper for insurance companies to insure you. And that's also going to save you money, whether you go to a doctor or you do any preventative kind of healthcare. So making sure that we buy the good running shoes and work out and invest in our health is going to, again, be a part of the long game. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the saying that I feel like my grandfather said all the time. And I don't know if he actually said this, but it sounds like something he would have said. The common saying is you have to spend money to make money. When I hear you talking, what I hear is perhaps you have to spend money to save money. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a, it, it is true. Because if you think about it, for example, spend money to save money. So it's a simple example going a little bit back to Kelsey's question is, let's say you want to buy these like really nice uh, microfiber cloths. And they're 10 bucks. And you're like, but I can buy paper towels for like $1. But how many paper towels are you going to go through until you exceed the amount of money that you're using those cloths for? So not only are you generating waste and not being sustainable, you know, you're going to be spending money through decades and decades of buying paper towels again and again. Whereas if you just buy $20 microfiber or whatever cloths that you buy, and you just throw them in the washing machine, now they're a lot more useful for your needs. So you spend a little money up front, you save money in the end. I talk also in the book about like trash bags, water bottles, different things that you can just buy once. They're going to last you a long time. You're not going to buy disposable things over and over or buy replacements over and over. So that does save you money. So you spend a little bit and you spend money, you end up saving money over the long term. Well, we're going to wrap up 
answering Kelsey's question. And then we're going to move on to some of your financial fives. We're going to talk about all of that with Gary Graywall after a quick word from this week's sponsor. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email. They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts. When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. And we are back with Gary Graywall. He is a certified financial planner and the author of Financial Fives. Gary, I want to finish up answering Kelsey's question. And I really, Kelsey, if you're listening, I hope we're doing a good job answering it concretely. But I feel like in the first part of today's conversation, Gary, we gave two really great tips. One is, of course, buy as a last resort. Make sure buying is your last resort. That's step one. And step two would be play the long game, or as I like to call it, zoom out. Do you have any final words for Kelsey who says that she's just working hard to be a conscious spender, but she's not saving any money? Yeah, I would just say that whenever you're buying something, buy in with your values. Ask yourself, do I need this? What purpose does it serve? And if it's like, I'm going to see myself using this over the long term, then it's a good investment, right? Too often we we give into impulse investing. And I with Amazon and online shopping today, it's so easy to order stuff and it shows up at your door in the next day or two. But I would just say that don't beat yourself up if you're trying to balance spending money versus being sustainable. Like we're talking about here, if you can find a used or secondhand option for what you're considering buying, do that. If you're going to invest in it and use it for the long term, you know, it's okay to make that purchase. It's the right thing to do. And it's also going to serve you later on. So whenever you have the chance of buying the sustainable option, look for companies that, you know, are giving you some sign that they are sustainable, whether they're 1% for the planet, a certified B Corp, 
use recycled materials, whatever the, the case might be. And then you can be comfortable giving your money to the companies that are giving back to the world and making it more sustainable. Yes, I agree with all of that. And I would just say to Kelsey, too, you didn't mention in your question whether finances were a driving force in your purchases, but for many people, they are. A lot of times, the truly ethical, the truly sustainable products price a lot of consumers out because of the price tag. So I just want to say to you, Kelsey, that if you are on a strict budget and you can't always buy the perfect quote-unquote thing, don't beat yourself up. When you can do better, do better. And again, zoom out, play the long game. So I'd love to chat with you, Gary. I'd love to transition and talk about some aspects of your book that I thought might be pertinent to our conversation. The first one is your five items we should rent instead of buy. And now let me back up and let me say that Americans have trouble renting as a whole, I think, because we are so interested in the tangible. If we're going to put money down, we want to get something back and we want to keep it and we want to hold on to it. But in your book, you're arguing that there are plenty of things that we can rent. So we're still spending money, but we're spending less money. And that would be a smart choice. So what should we consider renting instead of buying? Yeah, great question. So I would just say that when you're thinking of renting stuff, look at your life in terms of what are you using intermittently? What are you using not so often that you don't even need a use for? So one of the big items comes to use. One of the biggest items in most of our budgets is what? A car, right? So people are going to roll their eyes and say, oh my gosh, I can never live without my car. I need my car every day. But this book was finishing up writing before the pandemic happened. And since then, a lot of people have transitioned to work from home. And now being a one-car household is actually something that can happen for them. So, okay, well, one of us can take the bus. One of us can take the train if you need to go somewhere. Currently, right now, I don't have a car. And I live in a suburb. I haven't had a car for six months. But it's okay because others in our household have one. I can bike. I can walk. It's useful. So it's sustainable because I'm zero emissions to go on a bike. It's financially responsible because I'm not paying comprehensive insurance and car insurance and maintenance and all of that for my car. There's so many options today with the, you can get a car on demand or Zipco, there's Rent-A-Car, there's a peer-to-peer app, Turo, you can rent somebody's car. So there's more reason today to not own a car than ever before. The other thing I'll talk about is recreational equipment, right? Hey, you love to mountain bike, you love to kayak, you love to do all these things, but are you really doing it that often? That is justifying the cost. And not only the cost to buy it, the cost to rent it, to repair it, to insure it potentially. If you have a jet ski, you probably have to have that insured. So think about things that you love to do maybe just in the summer, a couple of times a year. I love mountain biking, but I only go maybe twice a year. So I'm not going to go and spend $4,000 on a mountain bike because I can spend $100 or less each time and rent it. And I don't have to move it or carry it or store it or worry about it. So... That's another thing I would say. Another was formal attire. Now, this is probably a less likely now (laughs) than in the past. We're not really wearing formal attire as much as we used to in the past. You would see a lot of both guys and girls go out and buy a new outfit for their friend's destination wedding or something like that. And they spend hundreds of dollars on it. And it's not even good material or whatever the case is, but then they never wear it and they end up donating it. 
not really a financially wise decision. If you have something you can repeatedly wear, great. But why waste money on something just for one? A couple other things I talk about. One of the bigger points is specialty tool. We talk about, hey, I'm going to go make a new cabinet. Let me go buy a saw and a table and all these different tools and spend $1,400 to build a table that would cost, you know, $400. And you get all excited and you're going to do it. And after you do it, you have a horrible time and it turns out terrible. And you're like, you just give up. You can't really go and return that stuff after you've used it. Now, if you're going to actually start a business on it or do it consistently and it's conscious spending, great, go for it. But if you're just trying to do it for a lawn house project, rent it. You can rent these things from Home Depot or Lowe's. There's lots of libraries now have tool libraries. So you can even go to your public library and rent like a, a table saw or whatever you also might need or one of those tools you need to replace the electrical wires in your house. So take advantage of those resources in your community. Love that. I feel like it's just standard in 2022 for those of us with disposable incomes to pull out our phone, which is on our person. It's essentially in 2022 an appendage. (laughs) We take it out, we search what we want, we swipe and it's at our doorstep in two days. So instead of just following that standard practice, slow down, really think about, do I need this with big purchases, but also with small purchases? I think even sometimes with small purchases, it happens more often because the price tag's low, but low price tags add up if you're zooming out. Okay, so I want to ask you two more questions. The first one is, in your book, you talk about five free or low cost ways to spend time with others, like activities out of your home. And I want to ask you about that because whenever I leave my house, I spend money, even if I don't want to. 9.9 times out of 10, I spend money. Unless I'm going for a hike in the woods, I'm spending some sort of money. Even though I know that I shouldn't have to spend money to spend time quality time with people. It's just the way it goes. So how on earth can I spend quality time with my loved ones without spending money? It's a, You make a good point, Stephanie. It's I'm also finding it hard, especially today. Like you go out, you go to the farmer's market or you want some coffee or you want whatever. And especially when you're with other people because you're having a good time and you don't want to be the one that says, oh, I'll just sit in the corner and drink my water. There are ways to spend time with people instead of spending money. Now, you brought up a great point. I'm going for a hike in the woods. Excellent. You go there, you walk, you spend time, and there's really no opening of your wallet. Now, the other aspect to consider is I love back in the past when I lived in a multi-unit building, we would get together in the lounge and just bring a, make a potluck and just hang out, play cards or watch an award show. And that was an easy way to spend time with friends and not spend money. Um, another thing that I mention is a lot of the times the cities have resources like where you can go somewhere and it's a free festival, right? Farmer's market, um, chalk art festival, different kinds of things thrown on by the library or art associations. You know, generally they're free. Now, if you want to buy a snack or buy a coffee, that does cost money. But these the events themselves are free. I'm a big person into volunteering. I do love to volunteer. I think it's very important for everyone to do if they can. And Those are also great ways to get into really cool events for free and typically have your 
food and all of that taken care of as well. The other thing I would say is you can also think about going to like the park and have a picnic, right? So you take your food, go there, walk around, enjoy the nature. And what's the reason you're hanging out? Is it to have conversation? Is it to have a new experience? And how can you arrange to do something fun, like bike to the farmer's market and you support local farmers and then, you know, maybe go somewhere else. So it's not always about going to the movies or going to the best concert or going on the night out in the town. That speaks to my soul, Gary. Oftentimes when I'm going to see a friend or a loved one and we go to a destination and we spend often a decent amount of money, I'm thinking about going out to lunch or going out to dinner, that's a big check at the end. And the check is almost, uh, the meal is secondary. The primary reason for going to that restaurant is to reconnect on an interpersonal level with the person that I want to see, my loved one, right? And so can we reconnect without the fancy meal? The answer, of course, is yes. It's just about getting creative, I think is what I hear you saying. You're exactly right. The meal is secondary, right? So you see people going out to brunch and spending $200, but you're really there to spend time with your friends. So if the weather is nice, go enjoy the parks, go enjoy the farmer's market, go enjoy something outdoors like a hike. Or if it's not, go to your, go to a friend's house. I really think as a society, we've moved away from like the whole potluck at somebody's house kind of thing. It's always about, oh, you have to have Instagram worthy displays of cupcakes and all this stuff for a baby shower. But it's like, what happened to just bringing a casserole or some cookies over and just having a good time and watching some reruns and just spending time together? I'm thinking about my friend group. Usually what we do, because we have kids and going out with kids is never fun, but you know, we, we rotate. We go to somebody's house and we hang out and the kids play and the parents talk and drink wine. I'm going to edit that out. Maybe I won't. I don't know, listeners. We'll see. But then we order food. We order takeout because nobody wants to cook for a humongous crowd, but we still want to spend time and we can't go to a restaurant. Okay, so that gets very expensive. I love your potluck example because as a host, I would love it if everybody brought some sort of mismatched meal or some sort of mismatched dish and we potlucked it. And going to somebody's home, I would be just so thrilled to hang out with my friends and be able to bring my kids. And that would rejuvenate me as an extrovert that I would be happy to bring a potlucked dish. So I love that. Before we say goodbye, Gary, I want to ask you one more question. In your book, you have a chapter on ways we can vote with our wallet. Give me some tips. Okay, so this was, it may not give you like a financial uh, upswing in your net worth or anything like that, but I felt it was important to do because each of us as a consumer, we, we vote with our wallet, whether we like it or not. Every time you make a purchase, every time a bill comes out of our account, we are making a vote. And so it's important to make sure that you're choosing the companies that you're associating with. Now, you can't really you know, tell your electric company that I'm not going to pay you because this isn't a lot in alignment with my values. But what you can do is look at your discretionary spending. So when you go to Target... What brands are you choosing for your cleaners, for your body wash, for your soaps, whatever it is? Where are you going to service your car? What kind of vehicle do you drive? Where are you buying your clothes? Where are you buying your kids' toys? So it's just a matter of being aware of where you are spending your money and making sure it's in alignment with your values. So a lot of companies, if you think about it, when there's a social issue that comes about, like we've seen the last couple of years, companies want to distance themselves from that. 
And recently, climate change has come into the forefront for many people. So what did a lot of companies do? They don't want to lose their market share. Hey, here's our corporate sustainability report. Take a look at it. Here's all the stuff that we're doing. And you want to start to train yourself to keep an eye out for greenwashing. What are they actually doing? What are products made out of? And yeah, it does take a little bit of work, but not thankfully, there's a lot of great companies, like I mentioned earlier, 1% for the Planet, Certified B Corporation. There's another cool organization called autorecycle.info. And so they really make the recycling, the chasing arrows were always so confusing. Is it recyclable or is it not? And they tell you what aspect of that package is and what's not. You know, buying local you can, buying used when you can, that sends a message that you don't really need all these disposable extra stuff that's not really adding any value to your life. But when you buy like the Tom's of Maine toothpaste or the seventh generation cleaner that are made from ethically sourced materials and recycled materials and they donate to different groups, you can make sure that you're spending in alignment with your values. I think your answer there really brings us full circle back to Kelsey's question, because what I hear Kelsey saying in her question is that she's not saving money and that doesn't make sense. And I hear that. But what I hear you saying is that it's important to remember every time we spend money, we are casting a vote for the world we want to see. I'm butchering that famous saying, but I think you all understand what I'm saying. It's not about the purchase. It's not about the thing that we're buying. It's about trying to make the world a better place with our wallets, with our funds. And a lot of us can't vote with our wallets because finances are the number one driving force in what we buy. But if we have an option, if we have a choice, if we have an opportunity to perhaps buy a better thing, maybe we do it sometimes. So I think that's a great place to leave it. Gary, tell us one more time about your book and your blog and where we can find all of your wisdom. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. So over at financialfives.com is where I write my blog. There's a new post every Thursday. You can also find the book on there as well. Gary, this was such a great conversation. I want to meet you in real life. I think we would be fast friends. And thank you so much for coming on. I had so much fun. This is a great time, Stephanie. Thanks for the good work you do. Listeners, that's a wrap. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gary Graywall of Financial Fives. I've linked to his blog, his book, and everything else we talked about today in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 258. I'm taking Thursday off this week because I'm feeling a little burned out, but I will be back next Tuesday for your regularly scheduled interview. See you then. Have an amazing week and take care.